What is your relationship with the law? What is your relationship with the law? Do you love the law? Do you fully embrace the law? Or do you try and swerve it a little bit? Do you try and dodge the law a little bit? Do you only do what's necessary? Do you drive at 75, knowing that you'll probably get away with it at 75? What's your relationship with the law? I'll just put my timer on for your benefit more than mine. (laughs) What's your relationship with the law? See, to be a good citizen, we need to abide by the law. And we often struggle with those who don't, those who break the law, those who seem to do it wantonly, do it regularly. We struggle with them. We don't like it when people break the law, and we want life to be fair. But if we're honest, we don't always stick to the law. We want to be fair. And yet when we're let off from a penalty for breaking the law, we're delighted. When it applies to us, it's kind of different, isn't it? In America, many years ago, uh, somewhere between Savannah, Georgia, and Jacksonville, Florida, on the US 301 highway, I saw blue and red lights flashing in my rearview mirror. And I thought, I wonder where he's going in such a hurry. Before the patrol car pulled in behind me and gestured for me to pull over. Having stopped, the police officer approached, gun in hand, and the inquisition began. But thankfully, after 20 minutes of trying to explain that this was not my car, that I didn't own it, that I only had a UK license, and that I was in the Navy, and I was driving back to base. He said, but what's your address? I said, I haven't got one, and this isn't your car. No, it's not. And thankfully, this patrol officer got a little bit bemused and then exasperated and let me go with just a warning. That's not fair, my passenger declared as we pulled away rather slowly. (laughs) He had been stopped down in Florida just a few months earlier for speeding, and he had been fined and threatened with county jail. That's not fair. He said, it's just not fair. How do you get away with it and I get charged? Someone in our house, I won't say who, but it wasn't me, recently got two speed awareness courses in the space of two weeks. I just don't know how you do that. I've never had a speed awareness course in my life. I've always had to take the points and I've always had to pay the fine. But two different courses in two weeks, it's just not fair. I just didn't think it's fair. Life isn't fair sometimes. But you know what? The gospel isn't fair. All of us, all of our lives have broken the law. We sin against God in all manner of ways, and yet Jesus paid the price. It's not fair. But it is good news for us. It's good news for all and any who would believe. And this is where we pick up our series in Galatians 2. I'm just going to read to you from uh, Galatians 2. If you want to follow this, you can. Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21. It's entitled, Paul Opposes Cephas. Cephas was Peter. Cephas is Peter, the apostle Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. 
because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I want to talk to you tonight about heresy, hypocrisy, and home truths. We love our three letters that are all the same, don't we? To remember, but heresy, hypocrisy, and home truths. See, heresy is anything that's contrary to orthodox doctrine. So anything that the church as a whole agrees on from the, that the Bible teaches, that's correct doctrine. Anything that's taught differently or spoken about or acted differently is called heresy. This letter to the Galatians that Paul is writing is addressing heresy, a lot of it. This was due to Paul's concern over the false teaching of this circumcision group, that mouthful that we, that we read about in this passage. Now, this circumcision group had visited Antioch in Galatia, where Paul had established some churches. It's in modern-day Turkey. If you can remember a few weeks back, they've had a, a map up on the screen showing us where Antioch is. It's pretty much in the middle um, of Turkey. And they visited Antioch, this church where Paul had established one, and they were convincing believers to embrace a different kind of gospel. He was getting them to veer from the gospel that Paul had left them with, the true gospel. And Paul had little regard for this group. He was actually quite angry with this group. And I'm going to show you how through some of his words. The reason being, he was leading new leaders, uh, new believers astray. And even some mature ones. We, we read about Barnabas, if you remember in that passage. Even Barnabas moved across with them. So Paul was livid uh, with this group that were teaching false doctrine and a false gospel. So Paul says in, in Philippians 3, what's out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh? For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. And in Titus 1, he says, for there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. He goes on to say, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. 
They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Needless to say, Paul did not have much time for this group of people. Now, Paul defends his credentials and his authority and his authenticity of this message. And Paul refers in the verses before I've just read, at the beginning of Galatians 2, he talks about an agreement that was reached on one gospel message for all at the Council of Jerusalem. And it was this very question of circumcision that was raised at that council. And I'm just going to read this uh, to you. So this is what Paul is referring to. He, he referred to this agreement, this, this gospel that had been decided upon, that had been agreed amongst them that circumcision was not required. And into it, listen, this is, most of this is spoken by Paul. No, it's not. Most of this is spoken by Peter. And you need to remember this. This is spoken by Peter himself. The apostles and the elders met, this is at the Council of Jerusalem, to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows my heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Paul was, uh, doing it again, Peter was saying here, Peter was, sorry, I'm really confusing you. Peter was saying here that People don't need, these men don't need to be circumcised anymore. If they're coming into the faith, if they're believing in our God, they're believing in Jesus, they don't need to be circumcised. But this circumcision group will go around and tell everybody, no, we need to follow the old law, we need to follow the old ways. If you want to be a real believer, you need to be circumcised. And so Peter and the rest of the apostles said, no, this is, this is not right. We're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. Not by anything else that we can do. This is not right and it mustn't be taught. But you see, this circumcision group, they didn't think that grace was fair. They didn't think this was fair. They'd been through it, so surely everybody else must go through it. This is the sign of a true believer, that you've been circumcised on the eighth day. And it might not be the eighth day, but they need to be circumcised so that they can, be, they can show that they are a true believer. Just like the stories I told you earlier, we want the law unless it applies to us. They wanted the law to apply to everybody. We've had to go through it, so they should go through it. But it was heretical. It was wrong, because what we know in the truth of the gospel is that Jesus died for us. Jesus paid it all. He paid it on the cross. There is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can bring other than our hearts in response to what he has done. They loved the law so much. They were so ready to apply it. But this is where the heresy really came in because if they knew the law, they would know the entirety of the law. Because going back into the Old Testament, which they should have been very familiar with, it would have said this, they'd have read this. In Leviticus, God is talking about the people and he says, which made me hostile toward them, so I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin. God is talking about an uncircumcised heart. I'll explain that in a moment. And in Deuteronomy 30, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. 
and Ezekiel 44, in addition to all your other detestable practices, you brought foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh into my sanctuary, desecrated my temple while you offered me food, fat blood, and you broke my covenant. Even in the Old Testament, God was talking about an uncircumcised heart. The whole point of circumcision was a devotion to God. I, by this sign, am devoted to God. What God really wanted was a circumcised heart. He wanted a heart that was devoted to God. He wanted a heart that loved God. He wanted an inward, an inward reality as opposed to an outward sign. He wanted this inward reality. And so this circumcision group didn't get it. They didn't get it. They thought that this sign, this physical sign, this fleshly sign was enough that you were in and you loved God. But they missed the point completely that God wants our hearts. There's nothing we can give him other than our hearts. This is why it's so important that we know what the word of God says and we stick by it. If you don't know it and you're not sure, don't spout it, don't talk about it. Be sure you know what you're talking about. This circumcision group were, were declaring the law, but if they looked a little bit deeper and they looked a little bit within, they'd have found that what they were saying was not true. We need to be careful with this and we need to make sure that the gospel we believe is the gospel we believe and we stick to it. That Jesus Christ died for us and that is why we are free. That is why we are justified. That is why we can follow him. That is why we are Christians because of what he has done, not what we have done. I wonder if Peter had talked through with his thoughts, if he'd have talked through them with Paul before his actions, if he was really sure about his doctrine, really sure about the gospel that he believed, he may not have wondered, he may not have been pulled across to this group, if he was sure that he knew what he believed. It's so important we know and stick with what we believe. So mere circumcision of the body through the law was not enough. We need circumcision of the heart, a yielding, a giving of the heart. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts above all else. Anything you think you can give him, anything you think you can do, he wants your heart above all else. And this is why Paul was so angry, because this group were preventing people from coming to Christ. They were stopping people from following him. They were putting this bar in the way that says, unless you do this, you can't follow Christ. And Christ all the time is saying, come to me. Just come to me. There were workers in the vineyard, Jesus says. In Matthew 20, we see this parable. There were workers that he wanted to go into the vineyard, this vineyard owner. And he went out early in the morning. He went out at six o'clock in the morning at the break of day and said to people, will you come and work in my vineyard and I'll give you a denarius. I'll give you a day's pay if you'll come and work in my vineyard. So off they went and they worked in the vineyard. But during the day, this vineyard keeper went out and he saw people at nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, three o'clock and five o'clock and he said to them all, will you come and work in the vineyard? Just give me your best for the day and I will pay you at the end. It came to the end of the day and they all came to collect their wages and the vineyard owner has given them all out one denarius each. And the people that worked all day, I said, hang on, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. We've worked all day and we're getting the same wages as those that worked for an hour. And the vineyard owner says, it's my vineyard, it's my money and I will pay how I want to pay. You see, what the circumcision group didn't get, because they were so steeped in the law, what they didn't get is it doesn't matter how long you followed Christ. It doesn't matter how long you've given your life to him. It doesn't, whether, it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised as a Jew and then you've become a Christian. 
It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your whole life and you've been living in the, the whole household. It doesn't matter if you become a Christian the day before Jesus returns. It's only Jesus that can save you. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of time you can serve him. There's no amount you can give to him. It's only what he has done that will save you. It's not fair. It's not fair. But Jesus died for us, and that's not fair. Whether you're circumcised, whether you eat kosher meat, whether you observe every festival or not, you are saved because of what I have done, Jesus says, not what you have done. This is the gospel. Nothing we can do makes us right with God. It was Jesus' sacrifice for us that makes us righteous or right with God. All that's asked of us is to give him our heart, this circumcised heart that says, I am devoted to you. So heresy, let's be sure we know what the gospel is for us personally. So we're not drawn from it. We're not distracted by it. When, when society tells us it's something different, when society says, oh, there are many ways to God. There are many different ways to God. You say Jesus is the only way. That's arrogant. It might be, but it's true. It's true. So do not be deceived. Let's know what the gospel means. Secondly, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. So I was talking about Peter earlier. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have higher standards or more noble beliefs than is the case. In the Greek, hypocrisis was playing a part on a stage, pretending to be something one is not, or to wear a mask. This is where we get the masks from. When you see anything dramatic, sometimes they show you two masks. This is what this is. It's, it's a hypocrisy. The original is to pretend to be something you're not, to wear a mask when actually underneath you're something different. And here we see in our passage in verse 12, we see at first that Peter is, is living with the Gentiles. He's eating with the Gentiles. He's living out the gospel. The gospel says there is nothing you can do. You are free from the law. You are still subject to the law, but you're not bound by the law. So you don't have to follow all these observances to be loved by me. It's because of what Jesus has done. So he's living and eating with the uncircumcised believers. And yet when this circumcision group turn up, Peter leaves them and he joins the circumcised Jews again. He joins this group. What kind of witness was this to these new believers? What kind of witness was this that this other group come along that everyone's a little bit wary of, that are teaching this wrong gospel and suddenly Peter just kind of shuffles over into this other camp. What would they have been thinking? What does it look like when we actually swerve from what we truly believe in and what we hold to? Contrast this with Paul, who bravely confronts Peter to his face. There's no whinging or gossiping behind his back. When the opportunity arises, Paul says what he thinks and doesn't hold back because it's so important. Paul would die for the gospel. He did die for the gospel, and he would not let the gospel be tarnished. He would not let it be taught incorrectly. He would not let people go off on a tangent. He wouldn't let them be taken off the path because the gospel is too important for that. So Paul stood up in front of them all. And he called Peter out. See, this is where rebuking and admonishing is really shown in love. You know those people that come up to you and say, I need to tell you this in love. And then they pull out the knife and they stab you. It's not that kind of, I'm going to tell you this in love. This was so important to Paul. This was love of Christ that was bringing him to rebuke and admonish Peter. It was uncomfortable. It would have been teeth-grindingly uncomfortable at that moment. But Paul knew he could not let this pass. He could not let Peter do this. And we read that Peter was afraid. But I wonder what other factors there were for him and maybe there are for us when we are confronted with pressure. 
Was there pressure for him? Yes, we know that. The circumcision group had turned up. Was it tradition? Peter himself was circumcised. He's probably a little bit torn between, well, they kind of got a point. You know, this, this is kind of who I was. So it may be tradition that moved him. Was it a shaky belief system? Peter had crumbled before. Peter had crumbled before. Did he have previous? I'm not sure. I have nothing to say on that. I can't be sure. But at this moment, this group turned up. Peter changes. Do you remember the playground, playground politics when you were at school? Perhaps in the, in the dining hall. And you've got these different groups of people in school. And you're desperate to belong. It reminded me of a, of a film, High School Musical, that I used to watch with my girls. And there's this scene where they're all in the dining hall. And on one table, you've got all the jocks, all the sports guys, kind of that. That would have been me, not particularly bright, but love to kick a football. Then you would have had another group that were really smart, they're nerdy, they're computer science guys. Then you'd have all the, the drama students over here. And then you'd have all the dropouts over here, all the naughty kids, all the kind of the drug smokers. And they'd all be in different places. In, in this scene, Everybody on these different tables start to say something different. The, the guy that is brilliant at basketball says, I like to bake. And he says it really quietly. And everyone's just like, what? What are you doing? Keep your voice down. The guy with the skateboard says, I love to play the cello. They're like, stop. You need to keep this in. And they sing this song. It's like, no, no, no. Stick with the status quo. You know the golden rule. Stick to it. Stick to who you are. Don't change. I can almost see Peter feeling this kind of this pressure, it's like, who am I? Well, I am, I am a Jew. I was a Jew and I've been circumcised and I kind of, I really should just stick with these guys. And imagine Paul saying, no, no, Peter. No, we must stick with the status quo. Our golden rule is that Jesus died for us. Don't listen to this group, the, the, the sway that Peter must have felt. But thank God for people like Paul that stick to the truth of the gospel that will not be swayed, that will not be swerved, and they stick to the truth, which is why we have it today. But I wonder what we're like. I wonder how we behave when we're confronted by people that challenge us on our beliefs. Perhaps our friends, our colleagues, even our family. Does our belief system become shaky? Do we become compliant or compromised? Or do we know what we believe in and stand by it, like Paul did? Hypocrisy, it's so important we know what we believe and we stick to our doctrine. It's so important that our lives live up to what we believe and what we speak about. And lastly, the third one. So we've had heresy, let's not do that. Hypocrisy, let's not do that. But home truth, let's stick with that. A home truth is a statement of undisputed fact. And in a couple of verses, right in the middle of our passage, verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 2, we read this. This is Paul speaking. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In those two verses, Paul says three times that we cannot be justified by works, that we are justified by faith. So important was it that three times, he says it differently, three times in two verses. We are never justified by faith. No, we are always justified by faith. We are never justified 
by works. It's our faith in Jesus that leads to justification and then we live in grace. That justification is a big word and sometimes we have trouble understanding it but what, essentially what it means is I was once a sinner. I now believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the son of God, that he died, that he rose again on the third day and I believe that I am free. I believe that I received the grace of Jesus. At that moment we are justified We are set free from sin. We are no longer sinners. That's what justification is. It's moving from being a sinner to not being a sinner. Now we know that in our life there is sin and we continue to sin. But that's the beauty of the gospel is we continue to live under the grace of God. But only faith in Christ can take us to that place. No amount of works. In one of Paul's other letters, Romans 10, he says it a little bit clearer, I think. If you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew, Gentile, man, woman, black, white, alien. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Not anyone who does good things. Not anyone who works really hard. The starting point is calling on the name of the Lord. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, back in 1510, as he was going up the steps on his knees doing penance for his sin, started to question the validity of this teaching, of certain aspects of religion that said you must pay, you must pay a price if you've done something wrong. And he started to realize they've completely missed the point. It was his reading of Romans that showed him, that opened his eyes to the fact that we are justified by faith alone and by nothing else. In one of his articles, he read it like this, and this is all scripture. This is all tethered in scripture. The first and chief article is this. Jesus Christ, our God and Lord, died for our sins and was raised again for our justification. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world And God has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. All have sinned and are justified freely without their own works and merits. By his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, in his blood. This is necessary to believe. This cannot be otherwise acquired or grasped by any work, law or merit. Therefore, it is clear and certain that this faith alone justifies us. Nothing of this article can be yielded or surrendered, even though heaven and earth and everything else falls. It's so important that we know the truth. We are saved by faith and we are saved by grace and nothing else. We are all to Jesus. He doesn't want us, certainly doesn't want us to circumcise ourselves anymore. He doesn't want us to do anything to to prove our love to him. What he wants us to do is to love him and to give him a circumcised heart, a heart that says, I am in with you, God. So do we still believe that works can save us? Do we find comfort in our serving and our rotors and our tithing? 
I'll ask you a question. Do you, do you feel good? And it's okay to feel good, but is that all there is to it? Do you, when you come to church, you come to church on time and, and I, I tithe correctly and I serve on the coffee rotor and I serve on the, the welcome rotor and I, kinda, and I help put the chairs away after church and I do all these things and I'm a good Christian. I'll say something blunt, but none of that gets you into heaven. None of it, not one bit. The only thing that gets you into heaven is when you call on the name of the Lord and you are saved by grace. This is why Paul was so angry and why he stood up against his circumcision group that were heretically teaching a different gospel. In the book of James, it says, faith without works is dead. And I can sound confusing, but what they're saying is, faith without works is not alive. Faith without works is not really alive. Your faith is not being lived out unless you are doing these good works. Now, you're going to, might sound confused, but works without faith can't save us. It's works in response to what Jesus has done. You see, once we give our life to Christ, this circumcised heart that says, God, I'm all in. So instead of stripping away a useless piece of flesh, we're stripping away all the useless things in our heart, all the things that don't belong there, all the pride, all the anger, all the doubt, all the anxiety. When we strip all that away and say, God, have it, have my heart, I want you to have this. Once we've done that, we then fall in love with him so much that the good works start to flow. But let's not mistake good works with a heart that belongs to Jesus. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I want to ask you, because I always try when I can, you never know who in the room has not called upon the name of the Lord. Quite often we assume that people in church are Christians, and it's not always the case. A survey a few years back said that you'll be lucky if 50% of your congregation don't look to the left or right that 50% of your congregation are not saved because not fully grasped what it is. So I'm going to ask you now to, to close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. If you've not given your life to Jesus, if you've not called on the name of the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do it now. So if you just close your eyes and if this is you, pray this in your heart with me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I've done And I'm sorry for the things I should have done but haven't. I'm sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for thinking there is some other way to heaven other than through you. I thank you for dying for me on the cross. I thank you that when you rose again, you've given me the opportunity to begin relationship with you again. And I thank you that I can be free from sin and shame. Lord, please come into my heart that I might follow you, that I might give you this heart that is now devoted to you. Be Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. If that was you, I'd love for you to come and see me afterwards. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up now, but if you want to come and see me and you want to talk about further about what that means to you, then I would love to talk to you. But as I, as I close now, I'm going to ask the band to come up and, um, and join me. just want to go over some points that I've just spoken about really briefly. Let's not be hypocritical. And none of this is condemnatory. We all feel challenged by faith. We all feel challenged when, when people question us. We all feel challenged. But I want to encourage you this evening to be like Paul. 
to stand up for the gospel. I'm not asking you to take matters of sexuality into the workplace. I'm not asking you to take your views on other religions into the workplace. But I'm asking you to do what Paul did, and that is to stand up for the gospel. To stand up and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and three days later he rose again. He ascended into, into heaven, and he sent us his Holy Spirit. And by his grace, I am free. That's all I'm asking you to stand up for. And people may laugh at you. People may rebuke you. But don't change what you believe. Don't change what you believe. Let's not be hypocritical. Let's not our actions not match up with our beliefs and values. If we believe that we're to love God and love everyone else, let's love everyone else. Let's not do something other than that. Let's not be hypocritical. Let's not be heretical. Know what you believe and stick to it. What I just said about the gospel. Know what you believe. Know what it means to you. Almost have your answers ready. The Bible says to have an answer ready for the faith that you have. I'm not asking you to wrestle theologically with every question that's given you. Say, I don't know and I'll get back to you. But on the basis of the gospel, don't let that go unanswered. Be able to speak the truth. Tell people what the gospel is. Don't tell them what it isn't. And let's know the truth. What does the truth do? The truth sets us free. And the truth sets other people free. And when you tell them the gospel and they respond to it, they are free. They can be free. So let's know the truth and speak it. The truth Paul was sharing sets us free from the law. Not free from abiding by it. We still need to obey the law. We need to obey the Ten Commandments because we love God. Not because that's the way to him, but in response to him. So we're not free from abiding by it, but we are free from the burden of guilt and shame if we break it. Let's stand as I pray for you. And we're going we're gonna to sing Freedom at the Cross. Is that, is that okay? We're going to sing this, this song. And I, I hope you tonight, you do find your freedom at the cross. Because that's the only place you're going to find freedom. You're not going to find it on the coffee rotor. You're not going to find it stood up here preaching. You're only going to find it at the cross. You're going to find freedom with Jesus. And so as we, as we sing this song in response, and when we say this, we don't just mean sing this song and believe it. What we're saying is, think. Think about what you've just heard. And I'm going to ask you a question before we sing this song. How are you with Jesus? How are you with Jesus? What is your relationship with Jesus like tonight? It's not for you to answer. It's not for you to to share. But in your heart, ask yourself, what is my relationship with Jesus? How am I with Jesus? Because if it's anything other than I've called on his name and I love him and I walk with him. If you're not sure of that, take this time as we sing. And you don't have to sing. You can just stand or sit and you can talk to God in response. God, I don't want my works to define me. I don't want to try hard to please you. I just want to call on your name and know that you love me and I love you. And that's the basis of the start of our faith. Lord, I pray as we sing or not, as we stand or sit, and we offer our hearts to you this evening. Some of us may need to 
re-consecrate our hearts to you. We may need to give them to you again. We may need to say, I've, I've taken them back, or there's, there's some things around it. I don't want the things I do, God, to give me some sense of security. I need to know that you love me and I love you. So Lord, as we respond in these moments, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts, that you would reassure us again. There's nothing we can do, that you have done it all, that you have paid the price. There's nothing we can give you other than circumcised hearts, devoted hearts, devoted to you, to your truth, and to walk in with you. So help us, Lord. Let no one leave this place tonight. Let no one leave without knowing just how much you love them. I pray you reveal that to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.